This is a WTOP original podcast. From Podcast One. Previously on Colors. This program has, from the beginning, said that we would be apolitical. We're going to make a slight exception for that today because we're going to be talking about the election. We're going to try to stay neutral, try to stay in our lane. But nonetheless, we are going to talk about an election which, by its very nature, is political. We're not picking a side or picking on a side. We're simply going to assess the role that race did or did not play in this election. Coming up in this episode of Colors. Please, please, again, please, please, man. 17-year-old Sasa Akil was hit hard by George Floyd's death. His death really prompted me into doing something. She's started a project called A Man Was Lynched Yesterday. I kind of announced to my followers uh, just on Instagram um, that I was giving away these postcards for free. Hundreds of people across the country and in Canada have received them. Um, And I was asking them to write to their uh, representatives, their uh, elected officials, basically anyone they could think of um, in any position of power, um, and tell them specifically that we have an issue with the death of George Floyd, but also that we just have an issue with the deaths of Black people in America. That's coming up in this episode of colors simmering racial tensions segregation now and tomorrow and forever fighting injustice i have a dream conflict looming brutality exposed i can't breathe i can't breathe the search for solutions starts here from wtop in washington dc this is colors A dialogue on race in America. I'm Chris Kaur, and I'm white. I'm J.J. Green, and I'm black. And this is Colors. Chris, partner, one of the things that we started out with in the very beginning of this program was to get views from every, as many people as we could, from everyone, uh, representative of every race, gender, um, you know, religion, um, everything. And that includes ages. And we've had mostly older, and let's just face it, old people <laughs> program up until this point. But today we're doing something different. We have a lovely, smart young lady on the show. And her name is Sasa Akil. Sasa is among other things a writer and she's got a very very interesting project going uh, and we want to talk to her a little bit today about that project sasa welcome to the show i thank you so much uh for having me i'm excited (laughs) yeah i'm excited because i was reading your web page and by the way a former colleague whose name is tiffany arnold told us about you and you and a group of young uh, writers that are moving the needle on a number of different things, including civil rights. And you have this project called A Man Was Lynched Yesterday. And um, I want you to tell us what that's about. Um, yeah, so of course. Um, so yes, A Man Was Lynched Yesterday project is a project that I started um, back in June. Um, well, actually, the very end of May, so like May 28th, um, when 
um, the news of George Floyd's uh, murder um, basically hit national news and it was very, it was a very big deal and it was very um, acutely painful um, for me and my family um, at the time and I think for many people um, and if you were to ask today I still think we wouldn't be able to say why um, but but his death really prompted me into doing something. Um, and I knew that I had to write out something that was true for myself um, because I am a writer and that helps me um, process. And so instead of just writing it down with a pen like I usually do, um, I decided that I would write it down on a linoleum block um, <laughs> because I had recently, like months before, learned how to block print. Um, and so I did that. I wrote it out on my block um, and I printed it on paper. Um, and through that, um, and through actually a suggestion from my aunt, um, this postcard campaign was born, um, which was the Amendments Lynch Yesterday project. And so, mm -hmm. um, what happened was I, uh, kind of announced to my followers, uh, just on Instagram, um, that I was giving away these postcards for free. Um, and I was asking them to write to their, uh, representatives, their, uh, elected officials, basically anyone they could think of, um, in any position of power, um, and, tell them specifically that we have an issue with the death of George Floyd, but also that we just have an issue with the deaths of black people in America um, and at the hands of police um, and tell them that we, we want to change. Um, and that is the, the basic beginning of the project, but it kind of grew into more. Well, let me just say here really quickly, if I didn't say this already, Sasa is 17 years old and I know she sounds <laughs> way older than that but she's 17 and this this project is well this is gigantic i think Chris? i think it's incredible what uh what city do you live in sasa um so i live in silver spring maryland um but generally people ask i say wheaton um because i think we have a special uh energy and culture going on in wheaton and i'm very proud of it <laughs> so yeah how many how many postcards have you sent out so far Oh, well, um, so I've officially uh, mailed out to different people all across the country from like New Jersey to uh, even someone in Canada, actually. Um, I've mailed uh, about 500, but I've also passed out on the streets um, and just people I've met in person. Um, the total is 668 postcards. Well, you know, I, I'm curious, did you have to get permission at all to use uh, this, the slogan, a man was lynched yesterday because that is from a flag that flew over the NAACP headquarters in New York for from 1920 till 1938. So I, I, do they grant you permission to use it or is it considered to be in the public domain? So yeah, that's a really uh, good question and one that I'm still trying to figure out. So um, it is in the public domain um, and that's because from all the research that I've done, I haven't been able to find the artist who actually came up with the graphic um, and I haven't been able to get uh, like an answer from the NAACP um, about who, you know, who came up with it or whether, um, you know, they, they, you know, had like copyright claims over it um yeah. but i know that other artists have also used this graphic and used the um the phrase um in their work and so generally it's considered public domain um and i try my best to walk the line of respect and giving credit um and also uh having my project and letting that be its own thing as well yeah you know it's interesting the way you do this um you have given the people who are interested in participating some suggestions. For instance, you say on your website, um, there's a part of your website called resources, and there's a place where you say, are you at a loss for words? If you find yourself stumped while writing your postcard, try this template. 
hello, so-and-so, my name is so-and-so, I'm from so-and-so, I'm writing uh, to you about blah, 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 because blah, 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 right? And then you have this situation about people who, um, who, who people should contact, your local representative, you know, your local police department, your mayor, governor, president. I'm interested in finding out how far you want this campaign to go. And at the end of, whenever you get to the end of this campaign, if there is an end, what is it that you want to have achieved? Yeah, so that's a really good question that I'm still working on myself. Um, so one thing that I knew straight from the beginning was that I would have a hard time just as a singular teenage person um, measuring the impact of this project. Um, I knew that I wouldn't necessarily be able to see um, you know, how it affected the people who were receiving it unless it was a huge, huge volume of postcards that they were receiving. Um, and so my, my goal and my dream and my hope was that I would get um, lots and lots and lots of orders, which I did, um, of these postcards and have so many sent out that eventually it would just be something that um, one elected official or another would have to notice. Um, but thus far, of course, I haven't really seen that. Um, and so my, my hope is that this project doesn't really have an end, um, that it's just an ongoing, it becomes a way that people think that people think of as um, something they can do to make their impact, um, because that's what that's how it started off for me was I need to know, I need to do something. <laughs> um, and I need to allow other people to do something as well. Um, and so I just hope that this continues, um, even after me, um, just, you know, something that I can, I can share with the world. But um, because I'm hand printing them, it is kind of um, difficult <laughs> to think of uh, how many I would be able to have sent out by the end of, you know, even my lifetime. Well, are, uh, you, are you funding this yourself? Because, I mean, it's costing you something to mail oh. these out. Um, so actually, I love that question because it's very, it's a very exciting answer. Um, so I'm totally run on donations. Um, as I said before, I don't charge for the postcards. And at this point, I've also expanded to making t-shirts and postcards and stickers. Um, and I don't charge for anything, but I also haven't paid for anything at all. Um, because I started this project and I said, oh, you know, donate if you want to. And I got so many donations. It was actually astounding. And so I was able, I received over $2,000 in donations. I was able to buy a printing press. Um, I was able to buy uh, all of the postage that I need. And I haven't even finished using yet at this point. Um, and new materials and everything to up my process and up uh, my ability to like get these things out. So it's been amazing overall. So how do your parents and family feel about this? <laughs> um, I dare say they feel proud, um, but they also are this huge support system um, because right at the beginning through uh, June and July, I was printing every single day because I had received so many orders. Um, and so things like my siblings, they, um, they would come in my room and we would have like huge printing sessions, literally go from like 10 PM to 5 AM. Um, and then because we're Muslim, we would like get together and pray and then we would go to sleep and the next day we would print more. Um, and so it was, I've received so much support from them, especially my siblings, um, yeah. and just getting this stuff out because it was so tiring. And I was like, Oh my God, I'm going to die. <laughs> um, because I had so many orders, which was amazing. Um, and it made me feel proud. Um, yeah. but they really helped carry it through because I wouldn't have been able to uh, print all of these by hand and send them uh, with my family. Here's something that I just learned, and, and I'm curious if, if you two um, know this. The first bill to make lynching a federal crime was introduced in 1900. It did not pass until February of this year. Mm -hmm. Were you aware of that? 
Um, no, I, I wasn't aware of that at all. I've, um, Up until February of this year, it was not a federal crime that's to, for lynching. Now, obviously, there are laws that would cover murder for one, but but it was not specifically a federal crime until February of 2020, 120 years to get that yeah. passed. The, yeah, this is called the 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 Emmett Till Lynching Act. Mm. Uh, and, uh, sorry, the this is called the Emmett Till Anti-Lynching Act. Mm. And it was introduced by a Chicago congressman or rather Illinois congressman, Bobby Rush. As you mentioned, Chris, it had been out there for many, many years. But this speaks to this speaks to the racial uh, divide in this country. All of these years, there have been people that have been pushing for this, but you know, it, it's it's it took until this year for this to happen. Remarkable to me that it's taken place. Well, I but, think it's it's kind of sad. I mean, we went through uh, well, all the um, historic periods of uh, integration and, you know, 1954 and in the 1960s and all of this that we went through and that bill, I mean, <laughs> I don't know what the vote was, but I'd like to find out the, the, uh, if there was an, any member of the house or Senate who voted against it and we'll have uh, Sousa send him one of these postcards. <laughs> yeah. Well, what I mean when I say remarkable, I don't mean that that's a good thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I understand. Yeah, no, it's, but yeah, as an African-American, I can tell you for sure. Um, we'll take what we can get, even though this should have happened a long time ago. But this is a special year. Part of what makes it so special is what Sasa is doing. And Sasa, I want to ask you this question. How has this year um, impacted your view of race in America? Hmm. Um, the funny thing, or maybe not the funny thing, the, the unfunny thing is that it really hasn't. Um, I think I've always been just by nature of my personality, acutely aware of my identity and what that like meant I would be treated um, by the world. Um, and especially because my family and my mother, who um, definitely from a very young age instilled in me um, what I needed to know as a black child in America, but also the history of black people in America. Um, and so to see what's been happening this year with the protests and even the handling of the coronavirus and all of that, um, and how black people have a higher death rate, even though we have a lower infection rate. And it's, it's not surprising to me. Um, I think often the people who are surprised by these are the people who haven't been dealing with it their whole lives. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this, my, <laughs> this year uh, hasn't surprised me, but I think it's been a good wake up call and a good um, call to action for yeah. uh, people who would be surprised. You are yeah, in the, you're in the Washington DC area and there is um, a large mixture of races in the DC area and in Wheaton. In fact, if that's where you want to say you're from, cause that's that I know the area very well. Do you feel racism every day um well <laughs> uh, since we don't really leave the house uh, much um <laughs> no sorry <laughs> but um but yeah no i i am not treated well you know you can only um guess as to why people mistreat you um and I don't feel mistreated every day um, when I go outside in my area, especially this neighborhood is very black and very Hispanic, um, which is my people. Um, and so I, I don't feel hated or discriminated against. In fact, I feel very held by my community in general. Um, but also when I walk around in the world, I walk around with this awareness of like, just be careful. Um, you know, when you go into certain places, when you're dealing with certain people, you have to be like, okay, I'm going to make sure that I do X, Y, and Z to make sure that they are not 
they do not feel like they have to treat me a certain way. And if they do, then I have to react in this certain way. So this doesn't happen. You know, there's this whole spiral effect that we're all um, as like people very familiar with. Um, And so, you know, I just try to walk with an awareness and try to keep that from happening. So so you're Muslim, correct? Yes. Yes, I am. Now, have you uh, noticed any uh, difference in treatment for that reason? Um, (laughs) Well, as I said, you can only guess, which one of the reasons you can only guess is because I feel like I, I have a lot of reasons. There are a lot of different reasons why people would dislike me. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, I have, I have been in situations when people have said things about Muslims, have said things about women, have said things about black people. Um, and, you know, it's, it's difficult, especially like when you're growing up, I think I've found a good way to deal with it at this point. Um, when I was younger, you know, it's kind of, crazy the way adults will will decide that they can treat children um, based on how that child looks or uh, comes off to them. Um, So it was difficult growing up dealing with people, um, even peers. I once I had this experience um, where uh, a a young white man um, was asking people in this classroom setting that I was in. He was like, oh, wouldn't it be so funny if someone uh, bombed the holy city of Mecca? And I was like, oh, hmm, that's not funny at all. Um, and he's very deliberate in it, pretending like I wasn't there. And so that kind of stuff is mm-hmm. is not uncommon. Um, but I think I've gotten to a point in my life where I have learned how to deal with it very well, as in um, addressing the person and, and you know, having a conversation about what they say and what they feel they have a right to feel toward me and my people. Um, and mm-hmm. yeah, but it's, you know, you know it's not easy. Let me just jump in really quickly here. This is sad to me. Um, yeah. But it's also good. You know, it's sad because you're, and I'm not saying this to demean you or belittle you, but you are still technically a child. Yes. And for you to have to, you're not even, you're not 18 yet. And yeah. for you to have to make these kinds of adjustments and decisions as a child is unfortunate because children should not have to do this. Uh, but the fact that you have done it and you've made this adjustment and you've done it brilliantly You've harnessed so many of the, uh, I guess, situations that a lot of people would uh, fall victim to, and uh, you've turned them in your favor. Mm-hmm. I can only say that this is just, this is a big, big time blessing that you've been able to do this. It's, it's, it's sad, but it's, it's also very heartening, too. I don't take credit. Um, it was my mom. <laughs> she, she taught me all of that. Um, yeah. yeah. Well, you, you, the a Man Was Lynched Yesterday project um, is to provoke dialogue, and certainly we've had dialogue here, we, so you provoke that, mm-hmm. uh, and to learn from history. What, what do we learn from history, Sasa? Um, well, I think the biggest thing and the, the most obvious thing about um, this project is that this is an old saying, like a very, very old saying, um, and it was true every single day then. And it still is true most days now. I I don't know if I can say every day, but I also don't know if I can't say every day. Um, And I think that's the most most glaring lesson that we have to learn, that we have not made enough of a change for this phrase not to be true most of the time. And so we need to make that change. because that is, that's not okay um, in any world for any reason that a man would be lynched um, yesterday and you can wake up any morning and n- not be lying. Um, so that's, that's the, main, the main lesson to learn. Like this, this history isn't even history yet. It's, it's still our present. Um, but also I think we have to, and we can learn from 
um, the things that people did then that helped. Um, we can learn from the civil rights movement um, and we can learn from all the strength and power that we saw from the black community and all of the strength and allyship that we saw from other communities, non-black communities um, to make this better. I, I like to say that, um, you know, racism can't be solved by black people alone. Um, and so this this idea of coming together and working together, um, a rainbow coalition kind of idea um, is the is the uh, history and the and the strength that we have to draw from the people who came before us. I, I, the reason I, you say it's very old. It's exactly one hundred years old this year. The the saying. This is when the flag was first put up at the uh, headquarters of the NAACP was uh, nineteen twenty. So um, that's really. I think it's appropriate to do it this year um, because I don't know. Perhaps you didn't realize that at the time, but it's the one hundredth anniversary of the beginning of that saying. I had not thought of that until this moment. Wow. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. now you've got a new, you've got a new angle. Exactly. Put that on the website. Sasa Akil, you are brilliant and you are a dear child and you are a, you're an inspiration to me. Thank you. And for, to me. Yes. Can, can I ask you one more, one last question? Sure. Um, was, was George Floyd essentially lynched? I mean, I know not with the noose and all that, but was that essentially a lynching in your opinion, yeah. Sasa? Um, so the definition of lynching is to kill someone, especially by hanging for an alleged offense with or without a legal trial. Um, so yes, um, that was a lynching. And of course you can, uh, by hearing that definition, you know that a lot of things can be qualified as lynching. Um, but what I, what I think of is, is specifically in this context, uh, just the context of black people and our history. Um, and so, yes, this was definitely a lynching. Um, I think it was without a legal trial um, and it was um, a, a, a killing of someone um, for an alleged offense, um, which which I think is the big thing, because, you know, this all happened. Uh, that situation happened um, due to an alleged uh, counterfeit twenty dollar bill. Um, and so, yes. Yes, in my mind, that was lynching. In my mind, uh, most police brutality, instances of police brutality are lynchings um, when the victim is killed. Let's end this on a positive note, which is what you have done here with this. You've turned a negative into a gigantic positive. And I want to ask you if I might end with this question. What is it that you want us to remember uh, from not just us talking to you, but from folks listening? What Mm -hmm. is it that you want uh, those who come away from this edition of the Colors Podcast to remember? Um, so many things. <laughs> um, but I think one of the big things that was that this year really helped to teach me um, is that you can do something. Um, even if you feel small and helpless, um, you can stand up with whatever you're good at. Um, in my case, it was art, but it can be so many things. Um, and you can make a positive difference in a world that you are unhappy with. Um, and yeah, you can you can change your life and you can hopefully at least try to impact the lives of others. And I think there's, there's great strength in that because, you know, feeling helpless sucks. Um, so, so do what you can and it'll matter, I think. And people like JJ and Chris will notice. (laughs) Well, Chris. Yeah, I'm just, I'm just amazed. It's such a terrific conversation. Um, it would be appropriate to ask you if anybody wanted to donate to your cause. Uh, is there a way they can do that? Or is that, an, an, is that a contact that you don't want to give out? Or it's up to you? 
Um, that is, yes, a totally fine question. Um, so the easiest way to donate is to go onto my website, um, and there is a donate button, but you kind of have to scroll. Um, but it's there, and I would appreciate, you know, every single penny. Um, I also appreciate orders and anything that can help to get this project. Um, and what, is, know, what is the website, Sasa? Oh, of course, it's kind of important, right? SasaAkil.com, that is S-A-S-A-A-A-K-I-L.com. Um, and there is an Emmanuel Lynch Yesterday tab, or you can hit slash Emmanuel Lynch Yesterday, um, and it'll come right up on your search. Perfect. Brilliant. Thank you so much, Sasa. Thank you so much. You're listening to Colors. Hi, I'm Rick Massimo. I live in Washington, D.C., and I'm white. But I think it's really worth remembering that Italian-Americans like myself, up until the early 20th century, in a lot of places in this country, we weren't considered white. And I think it would be helpful if we thought about what the term white means, who came up with it, why they came up with it, and how it changes and why it changes. My name is Lily Quiroz, and I'm a Mexican-American living in Washington, D.C. When I first saw the video and murder of George Floyd, I was angry and sad. And what I'm doing now is educating myself and my family so that the system we live in doesn't treat people unfairly and so that they don't have to continue living in fear. This is Colors, a dialogue on race in America. I would say that that conversation with Sasa was one of the most interesting and um, uplifting conversations we've ever had on this podcast. I, I, she is a very, very impressive young woman. I feel like you do. I feel like maybe we can relax a little bit because <laughs> the world is going to be in good hands with people like her around. Yeah, I think also, too, that, um, you know, I think the minimum age to run for office for Congress, I think, is 25 is that right? Yeah, 25, and for the Senate, it's 30. 30, and the presidency, 35? 35, correct. I think she may actually um, have some of those skills that may be necessary, because one, uh, in, in, in order to hold those kinds of offices, because one, she is a consensus builder, two, she is a an innovative person, She's able to take negatives and turn them into positives. Mm -hmm. And I think a fourth thing is she's got a great sense of humor. (laughs) I think she's, yeah, she's, she's terrific. You know, speaking of political office, I read a profile. uh, And for those of you listening who don't know, I'm in Florida and JJ is in the Washington, D.C. area. Mm -hmm. And the Tampa Bay Times is my local newspaper. And they did a big profile of a politician from Florida years ago named Claude Pepper. He was born in uh, 1900 uh, and he had quite an interesting, um, he's a Democrat from the South. So that, you know, that definition of a Democrat from the South changed over the years. Uh, He was uh, a member of the United States Senate from 1936 to 1951. And then he was, then he got defeated because he was too progressive. So then he moved to the Miami area where it was more liberal and he got elected to the House from 1963 to 1989. So he served in office a long time. But at the beginning of his career, 
when he was a United States senator from Florida, he had to do and say a number of things in order to stay in office. And they went against his his beliefs. They went against his moral compass. But he said he, he rationalized and, and thought, well, if I don't sign on to this bill or that bill or say these words or those words, I'm going to lose. And eventually he did. But um it, so that's a question of does the end justify the means when you're doing something that you know is morally repulsive? What's your thought? No, it doesn't. But, you know, sometimes we don't know um, that when we're in the fight, um, I suppose. Um, sometimes we are so caught up in what we think we have to do that sometimes we think that us being able to continue the work we've started is the most important thing as opposed to the issue that we started fighting about, fighting for. I don't know if that makes sense to you or not. Um, what, what, I'm, what I'm getting at here is, we've talked about this a little bit before, you know, there, there's the thing about the noble cause and suspicious motives that we yeah. talked about. Mm-hmm. I, that, that's exactly what I think happened. Well, this guy, in this case, he has... Um <laughs> he had a noble cause, but the way in order to uh, advance his agenda, in other words, he wanted to be able to have, he tried to help old people. Well, nobody was against helping old people, but he had to sign on to some legislation. There was, I don't really want to even get into it because it's sort of disgusting, but it was basically something that the, uh, I, I don't know, a group of Fl- Florida politicians wrote about somebody inviting a black person to come to their house for dinner and that shouldn't happen in Florida. And he had to sign on to that for fear that if he didn't, that his opponents would use that against him. And, uh, I, you know, to be put in a position like that where you know what you're doing is wrong. And then at the same time, you're trying to do a greater good by being empowered and being able to influence um I don't know. I'm glad I've never had to make that choice because that would be that would be very tough to do. Yeah. Like, yeah. You know, by the way, I think you would make the right choice if you if you were in that position, just knowing what I know about you and just your your dedication to doing the right thing, because, you know, sometimes doing the right thing is really hard. I mean, you know that you are going to face. It's like Albert A. Guest says, when you're up against the trouble, meet it squarely face to face, lift your chin, set your shoulders plant your feet and take a brace because you know you're going to get slammed, <laughs> you know? And so I, I, th- I think you would make the right choice. But, uh, yeah, Mr. Pepper had a very interesting life, you know, um, in that, that situation. He had a little bit of a run-in with Harry Truman at one point, too, but, <laughs> but he survived that one. But, um, you know, back to Sasa and back to this whole idea of a man was lynched yesterday, that campaign. You know, I'm glad you pointed out that flag that flies... Uh, you know, over the NAACP headquarters. Um, not, people who know what that means, they know that that meaning is, it it has more meaning now yes. than it has had in many a year, you know, because the question you asked about was George Floyd essentially, was he lynched? And, and the answer is absolutely yes. It's no way to avoid it. There's absolutely no way to avoid what's taken place as a result of George Floyd's death. And I have to, I was thinking about this over the weekend. I owe George Floyd's family a debt of gratitude because many of the things that I've been struggling with, trying to get people to see that were going on in my life that impacted me, that, you know, even friends and family couldn't, weren't quite getting it. The day that he died on that dirty street in Minneapolis with that officer's knee on his neck, 
people automatically started understanding what it was that I was trying to get them to see about systemic racism, about how people who can be on your own team can be hurting you and harming you by doing things that are institutional to them, but they don't see any harm. But uh, I'm so glad that flag flies. Me too. All right. Well, um, we'd like to invite you to write to us. If you'd like to hear something on our podcast, you have a guest idea or you have a topic you'd like JJ and me to discuss. We would be very happy to hear from you. You can write to us at the colors podcast at gmail.com. And please do. We'd love to hear from you. I'm JJ Green and I'm black. I'm Chris Core and I'm white. And this is Colors. Coming up in our next episode of Colors. The commissioners for Manatee County in Florida have declared racism a public health crisis. The uh, metrics for uh, health are disproportionately um, negative for uh, people of color. The chair of the commission, Betsy Banak, joins us to talk about how important this is and how difficult it may be. Uh, Manatee County is you know, part of the old South. It just simply is, uh, you know, and I, I understand that many, many, many of my Republican friends get very incensed when we talk about that. But again, if you don't, if, if you just acknowledge these things, it doesn't mean they go away. That's coming up in our next episode of Colors. Well, as we go, we want to say thank you to some people, and they include Adisa Hargett Robinson, Tiffany Arnold, Stephanie Gaines Bryant, Dorothy Gilliam, Rick Doc Walker, Steve Weish, Thomas Warren, Hillary Howard, Mike Chikaitis, Audrey Henson, Robin Terry, Guadalupe Correa Cabrera, Julia Ziegler, Joel Oxley, Greg Strassel, Beth Gibbs, and for our music, Jesse Gallagher, Cosmic, and Nana Quabina. And of course, thank you for taking time to listen to our program. And remember, just keep talking to each other. And just as important, keep listening to each other. You can subscribe to Colors on Apple, Spotify, Podcast One, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Colors, a dialogue on race in America.